So on this episode of the Future of Eye Care, I had the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Tim Trin, CEO and founder of Box Medical Solutions, and also two private practices in Southern California. So welcome to the show, Dr. Trin. How are you doing? Hey, good. Thanks for having me, Bob. Sure. So, you know, one of the first things, obviously, we'd love to talk about your background, where you went to school, when did you know you, you wanted to get into opt optometry, and how, and how did that happen? Man, so I uh, was a graduate of UC Berkeley uh, School of Optometry, had two uh, brothers that ended up going there, but for different reasons, they went for engineering. Uh, I tried to get in the first time, they didn't let me in the second, first time, so I had to go again the second time. Um, but optometry was really kind of by accident. It was one of those things where it started off as just a high school research project. And uh, being lazy, I just needed to interview somebody and I was gonna see my optometrist. So I decided, hey, you know what? Why not piggyback that, uh, that interview? And, uh, you know, when I actually got to college at UCLA, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And so for two years, kind of fumbled around, was undeclared, and then like, you know, met my future wife, who's, you know, uh, said, you know, was going to go to pharmacy and figured I needed to make something of myself. And so, you know, went to the career center, decided like, hey, you know, let's uh, give this a shot. And, uh, you know, fate happens. And I think everything happens for a reason was on the way back from my classes, watched, stopped in an optometry office and just walked in and said, hey, would you be willing to take a, uh, you know, part-time, you know, hire? And I was like, you know, can I volunteer to see what everything's about? And right on the spot, he said, hey, you know, come on board. And, um, you know, from there, just kind of like, you know, made the pathway, got into it. Um, what I thought I was getting into was totally different from what I actually am doing now. Initially, I was like, you know, this is going to be an easy profession. It's going to be like, you know, spin the dials one or two. Got into optometry school and really learned that as an optometrist, you can do so much more. And the passion really kind of ignited at that point. And, um, you know, did a residency in ocular disease, was fascinated by the eye, wanted to go into education, but just because, you know, wasn't able to kind of find a position, moved into LA, you know, wife is originally from LA, so happy wife, happy life, uh, as the saying goes. And, uh, you know, from there, just really kind of like started kind of crafting and finding different opportunities, um, just kind of see what I really enjoyed. And, um, you know, it's been an amazing journey, wouldn't trade for anything would do it again. So, so I, I saw on your profile that you actually had a biochemistry degree and, and I, I had a biochemistry <laughs> degree myself after, uh, after four years of that, the, the original plan was to go to medical school. So yeah. that's off to you for uh, completing that. I'm sure we could talk about your, your, your worst memory from, from, from biochemistry major. What, what was the worst class for you? Worst class was probably my PCHEM class, um, where, I literally failed it by two standard deviations and, um, you know, just could not understand the concept of first, like, you know, midterm. And it was probably my greatest achievement too, because failed it, studied my ass off and was able to kind of ace the final and came out ahead with like A minus. So from zero to nothing, it was like, you know, but that was a, a wake up call. Cause it's like, it's one of those things you can't just kind of like attend class and not put in the legwork. Um, but it was, uh, it was a really interesting, you know, class after you did kind of put in the right work. So no, it was it. the worst class. So PCHEM is, oh, it's a loaded question. Cause it's always PCHEM. Yeah. And, uh, best way I, I, I think I've had to explain that, that GPA a couple of times to, uh, to, to some recruiters <laughs> and they said, um, you know, describe your, actually it was on a recent, um, 
was on a it was on a job uh, application uh, back during the COVID layoffs, and uh, you know I, I think I put on there it said like describe your major, and I said like you know imagine reading a foreign language and then insert numbers or you know it's just like it was the absolute worst class ever it was it was totally you know uh, yeah it's 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 basically theory tied in with calculus tied in with I don't know and then it's like a totally different language and you know you just get thrown in and you expect to yeah it was it was a a tough (laughs) optometry school then was a was a uh was was a lot better than compared to to pcam Oh, like optometry school was like a piece of cake compared to <laughs> compared to PCAM. But yeah, it, it was it was it had its different challenges. But I think I think part of it too is that when you're in college, you know a lot of the stuff that you're learning isn't really going to be as applicable unless you're really going to be going into let's say pharmacy or you know like biotech, right? And for me, I knew that biochem wasn't my you know passion because when I was in the laboratory none of the science experiments that I created ever came out right. So, um, and then, so what ended up happening was that, you know, in optometry school, you know, you're going to be dealing with patients, you know, all the stuff that you're learning isn't really just a passive test. It's really going to be applicable and you get to see it in the clinic from theory to practicality. And that really kind of changes your perspective on how you approach the profession and how you approach the learning. And it became a lot more exciting because like when you see it in real applications, then it's like, wow, you know, like it makes so much more sense. No, I, I totally agree with you. Having passion for anything is, is ideal. Obviously my, my new passion here is on the marketing side. You know, your, your story about failing by two standard deviations reminds me, I think of my, my fourth year biochem class where I think I got a 28 on a test after the curve. So, But uh, I tell people I graduated sixth in my class but there were only bio, six biochemists in my class. So better for us all that I, I used to sell drugs rather than make them. And that's when I, in my pharmaceutical days, that used to be my go-to line. But um, yeah, so now, now obviously on the, on the medical device and the, the telehealth. So, um, so tell me a little bit then, so you graduated optometry school. So sorry for that segue, but I, I was thinking yeah. that's kind of fascinating kind of see where people came up and how they entered the profession. Um, so then you started, uh, or you, so you graduated optometry school. Where did you, what type of modality of practice were you in right after you graduated? Um, so right after I graduated, I uh, did a residency. So I was at the VA hospital in Fresno uh, for about a year and then stayed on board about for another three months or so, just as a contractor um, prior to moving to Southern California. Uh, moved to Southern California, and that was around 2008, and two months into a full-time position at an ophthalmology clinic, uh, Lehman Brothers like went bankrupt, and the financial collapse started, and my schedule went from about 30 patients a day down to about eight patients a day, and uh, lo and behold, being the new hire, I literally got my termination letter like midway through my day. I wasn't even done seeing patients, and at lunch, they pulled me aside and said, Hey, you can go home. I was like, what do you mean by I can go home? (laughs) And it was a really humbling moment because you never would think that as a healthcare professional that you would get laid off or terminated like that. And, um, you know, and they basically said, yeah, you know, we don't need your services anymore and you can go. And uh, I was like, can I just finish my day? And they're like, no, it's like, you know, and I guess they are worried that I would, you know, take it out on patients or anything else and whatever. But, um, and then from there, ended up working at 35 different office locations. 
within a two year span. So I was living in Sherman Oaks at the time and it was like at the junction between the 101 405 freeway. And uh, I drove pretty much 60 miles in a round circle radius to get any fill-in jobs I could possibly get. So did it with uh, commercial practices, which I thought I was never gonna do because you graduate optometry school, you think you're gonna have these ideals. You're gonna be a private practice. You're gonna do like, you know, like I, it was a humbling moment for me. And like, you know, it made me reassess like what it was that, you know, optometry was and balancing what you wanted, but at the same time, also making sure you pay the bills. And so I did, um, you know, Target, Costco, Walmart, Lens Crafters. I did private practices. I did half a dozen private practices, uh, ophthalmology clinics where I just refracted. I did, um, you know, LASIK centers, co-managing, like all those different things all in a two-year span. And what it taught me was, you know, how to adapt to different situations, but also gave me insight on what I liked and what I didn't like. And so, you know, and I made an admission that over the, those two years that, you know, it's, hey, the right opportunity is going to come around. And, you know, I always worked on a business plan with a mindset that one day I was going to open up a practice and be able to kind of implement all those different things I wanted, you know. And uh, lo and behold, finally, one of those, uh, you know, situations kind of panned out, got a call from an office I had done the fill-in work with. And they said, hey, you know, do you want to, you know, talk about, you know, purchasing or whatever else, right? And, um, you know, and I, you know, initially prior to that, I had tried to look at several other opportunities. I even put a down payment on a location, 10 grand right after, you know, for leasing out a location, walked away from it at that time because it just didn't feel right. And, but when the right opportunity came about, then I was like, you know what? I think this is the right feeling. It's the gut feeling to kind of move forward with it. And uh, 10 years later, we just celebrated our 10 year anniversary. So it's been, it's been amazing. That's great. With two, with two locations now too, right? You, you opened a couple second yeah. a couple years after. Yeah, two locations now. So um, our main locations in Thousand Oaks and the other ones in Camarillo. But when I started, like literally, like uh, we were, I was told that the, we, we had 3000 active patients. It was really closer to like 200. <laughs> and uh, it was kind of a clinic that hadn't really been renovated. It was run down. Um, and so put in a lot of money to kind of, uh, you know, took out loans, put in money to kind of get it updated. Uh, worked seven days a week, pretty much for my whole first year. Got married that year too, as well. Um, took three days for a honeymoon and like, you know, thank God I have a wife and a partner who's really just amazing and supportive during this whole process. And, uh, you know, was able to kind of grow it from that to, you know, the two locations that, you know, two doctors, three doctors, uh, 12 staff. It's just, it's just been an amazing journey. And I think a lot of it, it's like that hardship and that challenge really kind of made it a lot sweeter. Um, I think if I walked into an opportunity that was easy like, I don't think I would have learned as much and I don't think it would have been as rewarding, but I don't think I would do it any other way. So. Sure, absolutely. So I, I think uh, I can remember back to those those early days you were describing when you were working in all the different offices. I was a I was a sales rep in that territory. I think you used to come. You were. Because I'd find yeah. you in like different locations. I couldn't figure out who owned what practice and working on. <laughs> and then uh, and then obviously when you, you purchased uh, the, the practice in Thousand Oaks, which is in our, you know, it's in my backyard here. Yeah. And, um, and so, so something that's kind of a segue to something I always appreciated about calling on you. I was, I, I always had kind of the next new thing was kind of, was kind of how, how I've made my career. And so I always found you to be open 
to at least, you know, you had kind of an open door policy, at least you did back then, where, um, where you would at least give someone, you know, a rep at the door, you know, 60 seconds or so, and, and you'd come out and say, what do you got? And if you were interested, you'd take a meeting, you'd sit down. So a lot's kind of changed now. What would be your advice to, with the whole COVID thing, with doctors and, and sales reps, how, how are you getting new information? Are you, you know, just doing it online? Or if you'd share kind of, how are you extending that kind of that open door, open mind policy that you always had? And are you still, I guess? Without- yeah. yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, it's definitely more challenging now, but you know, I always make it a point to at least like listen to the opportunities and the situations because sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And so it's really important to kind of like expand your scope of horizon and your understanding. And, and that's the only way in business that one, you know, you're not going, you're going to know what tools are going to be available for you. Um, You know, for me personally, I'm always actively seeking out ways to kind of continue to improve because, you know, if you don't adapt and you don't change and especially in the world as it is right now, you know, the profession's changed so much just in 10 years um, that you're going to fall behind. And if you fall behind, there's no way to catch up later. So we treat our reps kind of like as our partners in helping us, keeping us informed about what's going on in the world. Um, with COVID and everything, obviously, like the open door walking in policy is a little bit harder to do. Um, but we always encourage them. It's like, hey, you know, just give us a call. We'll set aside that five minute time or 10 minute time to do it. And to be honest, like oftentimes it's even more effective because like you can see the PowerPoint on the Zoom now, right? And you can basically go through things and you can get things out of the way. There isn't any of this kind of lunch aspect that, you know, needs to kind of take up that extra time. Um, And, you know, it it makes it so much more efficient. And then because then we can actually like, you know, really kind of concentrate on the topic that's at hand, we can ask the valid questions and actually learn a lot more in 10 minutes than it would take an hour over lunch. Sure. And so it's, um, yeah, and yeah, it's, it's, an, it's a different world, but it's, it's still, you know, we try to keep that open door policy. Sure. So it always kind of amazed me where the offices that had kind of the open door policy were always the most successful. They were always the early adopters, the innovators, and a lot of the practices that like, they were like, man, we don't have any time for you. You know, you just could not get in to see somebody. A lot of them, when I went to launch the next thing, those offices were gone. They were like a GNC in the parking lot instead of still an optometry practice. So, yeah, I always found the early adopters and innovators like yourself always, always thrived. And um, there's been so many articles written by doctors about that. So any advice that you'd have aside from that for uh, younger doctors that want to open a new practice because you've done it and, and um, you know, and, and any advice regarding kind of some of the challenges you've you've posted a lot on LinkedIn about your, your leadership experiences, your pitfalls and your lessons. So I always find that, that personal side of you really fascinating that, that you share that openly on LinkedIn. So any kind of tips or advice you'd, you'd give new practice? Yeah. I, I think if you're going to start a practice, you kind of have to do it for the right reasons. Um, there, it has to be more than just money. Um, it has to be a certain level of passion. Um, you almost have to have a chip on your shoulder, uh, thinking that whatever you're going to do is going to be better than what's existing right now. Um, because if you don't, and you go in with a mentality that, Hey, I'm just going to open up shop. I'm going to be mediocre. I'm going to be, I'm just going to try to get a paycheck. My ultimate goal is to get paid. Um, it's not going to result in one happiness for you. And two, every time you try to chase the dollar, it's just going to be more and more elusive. You're going to make decisions that aren't really 
going to be for the right reasons and your customer base is going to recognize that. Um, and I think if you go in with the mindset that, you know, I want to create, but I want to, and you know, the, the rest of the success will kind of follow. There's this old, uh, you know, Chinese proverb that's like, you can either chase the money or you can allow the money to come to you. And that is what we've always kind of held is that when we started up our, our practice, like there were days where it's like, I literally only had like maybe 500 bucks left in the bank account, but I held true to certain principles and the way I wanted to practice. And through that, we were able to develop the trust, develop the clientele. And that growth went from almost nothing to an exponential growth over the five-year period. And, you know, you have to have faith and you have to have commitment in your, your profession. And you also have to be willing to put in the legwork. There's so many people that think that, hey, once I hang up a shingle, it's, that's it, you know. But in this day and age, like you have to be innovative, you have to be creative. It's not like it was like, you know, 30, 40 years ago, you were guaranteed to have people just because of your location. Like now there's so much research, there's so much, you know, consumer elements that kind of come into play. You have to be, you know, savvy. And if you're not savvy, you just have to be willing to put in the work to learn it. And you're not going to know all the answers right off the bat when you first start off. And that's perfectly okay. Like you have to understand that, you know, as long as you're willing to kind of adapt and continue to explore and experiment, and most importantly, be willing to take risk that's the most important attribute that you have to be able to have. And um, if you do that and you, with a mindset that, you know, you're growing it for other purposes and, you know, you're going to find that happiness and you're going to find that success financially as well. Well, I'm, I'm guessing one of those aspects for you is, is dry eye as well, because this is kind of the segue to, so uh, the practice wasn't enough though, because then, then you, <laughs> you went ahead and started a whole other business. So you, you care to share the, the name of the company and, and what the product is? Yeah. Kind of how that yeah. came out. So uh, in our whole drive to innovate our practice, um, dry eye was a big topic around 2015, and that's when it first started. And I was looking for ways to kind of additionally add like opportunities and revenue in the clinic. And I think I had gone to um, a vision source exchange in 2015 and bought a thermal treatment device, I think called the My, the My Buffalo, right? Um, the other option was pretty much the LipaFlow or LipaView, which was about 100K at that time, which like as a starting clinic, that was pretty much half my debt already. There's no way I could afford that. And so, you know, part of it was we needed to kind of create an imaging system to um, be able to kind of see what, what treatments would be, be most beneficial for what patients. And, um, you know, and I really couldn't swallow a $40,000 camera at that time. And so I, you know, was having dinner with one of my neighbors who actually, whose husband is actually um, an engineer. He was a former engineer at Ring Doorbell. And the neighbor is also my former schoolmate. Um, and uh, it just happened over dinner, you know, I pulled out some white paper articles that said, hey, can you create a myography unit, right? And this is what my biography unit is. It's just basically using infrared imaging and, you know, X, Y, Z, and we need to kind of determine focal length and that, you know, all this other stuff. And, uh, you know, what started off as an initial kind of project of just like for a hobby and personal use um, took a form of its own and um, kind of grew. It grew to the point where like we posted a few images of our homemade 
vid, uh, you know, homemade camera system. And we posted on uh, OS Docs uh, run by Scott Schachter. And the feedback was like, oh my gosh, what imaging system did you take this with? And I was like, oh, we just created it. They're like, and so the feedback was that these images are great. Everything looks amazing. So my partner and I said, well, you know, why don't we look at ways that we can commercialize it? And we didn't know what we were doing, like, to be honest. And uh, we're like, well, you know, what kind of risks are involved and all these different things. And, and, you know, and I just recently posted one where it's like, we looked at it and it's like, we worried about like, how are we going to deal with the FDA? How are we going to do with this? How are we going to deal with like patents? How are we going to do all these different things, right? And uh, we just kind of said, you know what? Fuck it, right? <laughs> just go for it, right? And we created it and we put in money into the, the, the company. We started our first batch of you know, production. We were so excited. We had our product and we walked into a doctor's office and we, we demonstrated it and then it didn't work. <laughs> like it didn't work properly at all. And, um, you know, but what we learned was the level of like this kind of, kind of tenacity and resilience is kind of like this whole theme that we've been kind of going through and we fixed things and we troubleshooted things and kind of worked again. And so over like a year span, we, we, we refined our product. Then we launched another product and it kind of led from one thing to another. And now like about five years later, this like um, box medical solutions is the name of our company um, has been thriving. We're now in, we're international. We're in Canada. We're here. We're in Korea. Um, you know, we've uh, posted over 250 units in with a two, three man team and a large part to like our, our, um, national, uh, consultant too, Todd Hostetter. And it's just been, it's just been an amazing journey, but, um, just like even starting up from that initial practice, it's just like a level of tenacity that just kind of took us from like, you know, fumbling our way around to dealing with all those, uh, you know, problems and, and kind of finding success in it. So it's been, it's been pretty cool. Sure. So, you know, I, you could have asked me about doing demos in offices. Uh, I, I could have given you about, you know, at that point in time, I was doing device sales for about six years and, and yeah. could have told you that demos go one of two ways, like, you know, and, and one of them just isn't good. So uh, I've, I've been on, I've been on my fair share of uh, show up to do the demo and the machine won't turn on. So um, for, for sure, it's uh it's something it's something I avoid at all costs. But I know actually that's that's kind of um your core business model, which just goes to show the the reliability of, of your product. And uh so so kind of you know, if, if a doctor's interested in in getting a, a hold of your product, they can go to your website. And I think like the first thing you have a great call to action. So like your marketing's really great, where you're saying, you know, do a demo. And so you're pretty much just offering an in-office demo right right off the get-go, correct? Yeah, well, actually, we flipped the whole kind of concept around because we don't have a huge sales team. We actually mail the devices to our doctors. And because our whole concept of the device was that we didn't want a large capital equipment that would take up a lot of space either. So we created something small that was portable that would attach to this current slot lamp. And because of the size and its portability and its integration with existing equipment that you have in your exam room, computer systems, like you know, our, we're, we're looking to the future, right? And that has allowed us to shift our whole sales model on its head too, as well. Um, you know, instead of like having like boots on the ground, kind of send, you know, people out there um, calling, like, you know, we set up an online demo element where, um, you know, 
doctors kind of uh, qualify and see if this is something that they're interested in by showcasing them the, the technology through the software. And if it is, then it's just a simple matter of like, hey, they need to take it for a test drive. And especially with COVID, like, you know, we've been doing these virtual demos even pre-COVID. So we were actually one of the first Zoom users um, uh, even like about three or four years ago because we, it was out of necessity. So when COVID hit, it was pretty much like, oh, well, nothing's really changing. We're doing everything the same way. Um, but doctors now are actually more inclined to be willing for an in-person, like for a male demo uh, versus the in-person, you know, service um, prior you know, doctors were always kind of wary about, you know, like about just receiving equipment. Um, they didn't want, they wanted somebody to come by the office and now it's just so much easier. So yeah, on our website, we, we allow doctors to schedule an online demo uh, on www.boxmedicalsolutions.com. Uh, we ship them a unit. Um, they get to try it out for basically 30 days. Uh, if they like it and it meets their workflow and, you know, qualifies and checks all the, the check boxes that they're, they're looking for. Um, then we basically, you know, take a credit card and charge them at that point in time. Um, but yeah, we have a really open uh, policy where we don't even charge you a dollar for the shipping or anything at all until you say you're happy and we take care of all that charges. That's great. I mean, you've created a, a really great, like a frictionless sales process, get it in the hands. It shows how simple and easy the product is to use. I mean, uh, every, everyone should go check it out. I mean, it's a really elegant looking box, you know, it's a, you know, and so, you know, in the medical device side, we call it, you know, selling boxes or so, but it's, it's literally a box, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's an elegant look. It looks like the cube, you know, it's like a space age device. That's so pretty cool. Um, yeah. and, and the images are amazing. So what's really great about your process, and we've talked about this, you know, you, you've, um, you mentioned being adaptable and, and innovative. And so we've spent some time, you know, recently just talking about marketing in the past and, and yeah. where, where you're open to different concepts to try to try to promote your business. So, um, I, I think you've done a, a great job with it, but you have a, a really great um, experience with the imagery. And so I think that, I mean, the, the images sell itself. So the quality of what you've done really sells itself. But so as a CEO though, you know, there's a whole lot of other challenges uh, with, with running oh, yeah. a business, but something you really talk about on LinkedIn is, is the people element. That's something that, you know, I think really resonates with everyone. Any kind of last tips uh, before we wrap up here, if you have any last tips about, kind of uh, what you've learned from from managing people kind of where you started versus some some key takeaways you've you've ended up with that you've posted about recently yeah you know like one of the most like difficult elements of running any business is really um recognizing that you can't do it alone um you require a team and building that team um setting the right expectations but also like creating opportunities for the team members is really the most rewarding element that, you know, I've personally experienced. Um, you know, I was a horrible leader uh, for over three, four, five years in my first starting a, a business. Um, I went through about 35 employees, like my first couple of years. Um, and it wasn't because those employees are bad. It was more likely, I just didn't know how to lead properly. And we would hire people and throw them into no-win situations where, like, you know, there was no room for success because there was no infrastructure that was set up. Um, and, you know, it took the time to really kind of develop myself as a leader, picked up books that, you know, in the past, I used to think like these leadership books or self-help books were 
like whatever, like, you know, there's nothing to talk about. Like I used to like think like people that bought into that were like, you know, silly. And here I was like, I was reading these things and I was like learning from other business, you know, leaders about all the pains that were, they were going through. And, you know, and I think I've read a few of those books prior to even starting the business, but it didn't really resonate until after you felt those pains. And, you know, through those struggles and through the, like, you know, asking the questions, reaching out to other people, we were able to kind of develop, like I was able to develop myself to become a better leader, set up the proper infrastructure, set up the assistance to kind of help, you know, grow it. But one of the things I'd always have to remind myself is that, you know, when I'm working in all the companies, whatever it is, it's really for our whole team's benefit, right? Like, it's not for my own personal gain because I don't really find a whole lot of joy, like, you know, from that. Um, our family came from nothing. Um, our, when our family were immigrants, we came to this country with $20 in hand. Um, pretty much, you know, going out to McDonald's was like a, you know, a treat. Um, and so, you know, what I really enjoy is the ability to kind of help raise other people up to their potential. And, you know, a lot of our team members, even in our practice, like they dealt with really hardships in their life. And, you know, when they had that opportunity, um, they made life changes and we've been able to see them grow. And in business, I think there's a social responsibility that you owe to your community and the people that you work with to really be able to give back and, you know, help people elevate themselves. Because at the end of the day, like when you're on your deathbed, you're not taking your dollars with you, but you're leaving a legacy that's behind. And with that mindset, like you approach business a lot differently. Um, it's all about the people more so than it is about your own financial success. And I think that philosophy carried over from our practice to Box Medical um, and to any future business that we might do because you know, when you take care of people, whether it's your customers or whether it's your own team, you know, everybody's going to be more willing to kind of put in the efforts to kind of grow that company because they know they have a stake in it, you know? And um, in the past, I, I would have to micromanage everybody because I felt like, you know, basically um, I couldn't get people to be motivated. And the reason that I couldn't get them to be motivated was because they didn't realize they didn't, well, they didn't realize I cared about them or I wasn't caring about them the way I should have been. And um, when you start changing your mindset and you take care of your people, your people will take care of you. So that's yeah, it's, great. it's great insights. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I finally got that out of you. I was, I was trying to pull that out of you for a little while in the interview. So, <laughs> no, I mean, you know, that's the part of your, your personality that I think really resonates with so many people. Um, you know, how much you do care about people and, and, and how giving of your time you are to people. So I guess kind of, you know, just in, uh, in summary, you know, you're, you're doing something that's new and innovative as well. Your leadership style is, is certainly innovative as well. And um, I, I would just kind of love to get your final takes kind of on and anything that you see that you've been involved with or, or that you're aware of kind of that that's going to be the future of eye care and anything that kind of catches your eye. It doesn't have to be anything you or I are currently doing, but, uh, you know, something that you, you can think in terms of what do you think is next for optometry or, or just, the, you know, the future of eye care in general. So it could be industry. It, it could be ophthalmic. If there's anything you're aware of that, that, that you're involved in or, or heard about. Well, it's, I think it's really exciting. I mean, there's so much change that's happening in the profession right now. I mean, you look at the tech world, 
Uh, you look at Apple and their approach to, uh, or it was either Apple or Facebook and, you know, wearable technology, um, you know, eyewear that might be like, you know, have like digital screens. Um, you look at myopia control and how that's been taking off. You look at telemedicine, you look at, you know, telehealth, um, you look at, you know, um, dry eye treatments. And it's like, you know, the profession as we knew it 10, 15 years ago, like it's not going to be the same 10 years from now. And that's really where a lot of the challenges come where it's like, you know, as a small business owner, um, you know, if you plan on practicing for another 10, 20 years, and really kind of thriving versus just sort of surviving. Um, it's learning how to adapt and integrate technologies to be able to, um, you know, instead of fighting change, adopting change so that it becomes part of your future plan. And so even with COVID, like as it happened, um, we took the time when we shut down to really revamp a lot of our systems. Um, you know, how we do our intake, how we do like, you know, um, remote care and, you know, how we deliver goods, um, you know, direct shipping versus in-office pickups. Um, and all of these kind of automations and services that you want to, you know, were just basically accelerated with the shutdown of COVID. But COVID, if anything, is just kind of like a, a glimpse of how do you deliver more care more efficiently uh, to, um, you know, patients in the future. And it gives us a sneak peek on like, you know, what you need to do to be able to survive um, the changes that are going to be coming. But I think for a Tom tree, what our bread and butter has been for many years has always been like, you know, glasses and contact lenses. And with the changes in vision care plans, the changes in, you know, online competition, you know, we're going to see that market shrink a little bit and you know with that like you know you have to supplement it elsewhere and i think optometry where we used to be a general care element you're going to have to specialize a little bit more kind of like what ophthalmology has done um, instead of just being general ophthalmology now it's surgical or you know retina or you know cataract and lasik um, but you know instead of fighting the change um, you kind of have to embrace it and find ways that you can adopt and adapt in the future it's, it's great advice. So you said something previous too about, you know, you picked up some of those professional development books and it's kind of funny. I, I, I was handed a book from, from a guy right after college. It was uh, the rich dad, poor dad, the original rich dad, poor dad yeah. book with Robert Kiyosaki. And I read that book and I thought to myself, why didn't anyone ever hand this to me? Like in, in uh, you know, in, in high school, like this is the type yeah, of yeah. stuff they should be teaching in high school. And I became a professional development freak, eventually wrote my own book uh, sales book yeah. ar around it. But awesome. Um, you know, yeah, some of the best leaders that I follow on LinkedIn, Dave Cancel with Drift, for example, has like a, a reading list for his employees. So I, yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head on, on that comment previously about, you know, professional development, really kind of, you know, learn from all these, these people out there. I think a lot of people don't do it. So uh, the fact that you did it, it just, again, it shows your open-mindedness. You're, you're always open-minded to new technologies. And adaptability. So I think that's, that's definitely something that's helped make you, you know, so, so successful. So I, I really appreciate you being on this episode of the future of eye care. I think what you're doing is definitely the future of eye care. I'm sure you're going to continue to innovate and, and bring new products to market, but uh, I appreciate you being on the show and, and I look forward to catching up with you again. Thanks, Bob. Thanks so much for having me. I right, appreciate it. Talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye.